You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit chialphashatternstate.com for more info. Courtney and I were at a conference called Light. Uh, it's a conference. It's kind of like your guys' salt, but it's a light for us. Get it? Salt in the light of the earth. It's so nifty. But basically, we go, and we went to Des Moines, and we got to meet with all the, the Great Plains, both north and south, directors. And it's kind of a unique opportunity for us to learn from some of the people who've been in Chi Alpha for 28 years. There's one Chi Alpha director from North Dakota State who has actually been directing Chi Alpha longer than I have been alive. And so you just get this opportunity to just suck their brains a little bit for any piece of knowledge that might help in how to direct a Chi Alpha. And so, um, but we also talked about the upcoming SALT conference and getting things, getting ready to go for that. It's like we said, the registration is open. For the next month and a half, I apologize, because I'm going to say the word SALT like a thousand times. But it is something you want to go to. So I'm going to plug it right now again, go to SALT. So the last thing I talked about a couple weeks ago, if you guys remember, I talked about not settling. That's right. I almost forgot. I don't... Talked about not settling. And so I was praying about what the natural progression from not settling would be. So what is the natural progression? For me, it looked like getting out of your comfort zone. If you're settling, you're in your comfort zone. So how do we get out of our comfort zone? So when I was in seventh grade, I joined football. Because every big kid in seventh grade decides to join football, of course. So I joined football. And I go, and the first day of practice was horrible. Any of you guys that have ever gone out for a sport, any sport, it doesn't mean to be football, any sport, you know that that first day of practice, the first time you've ever gone out for it, you are miserable. Because every joint, every, like, your muscles that you didn't know existed are, like, in knots. Your lungs are on fire. And you feel like you're going to pass out just walking, and you do the little like cowboy walk everywhere, you're just like, you don't want to put your arms down because you know it's going to hurt too much. So you just walk around like this. You sore? No, I'm good. And so I go home, and I'm like in tears. I'm like, Mom, I hate football. I'm done. I quit. And my mom and dad were like, well, no. You started football. You're going to finish it. I'm not going to allow you to quit in the middle of the season. You don't even know if you're going to like it or not. So I was like, fine, I'll do football. So we go through football. We go through the entire first week. And like I said, how many of you guys know that that entire first week is even worse than the first day? Because the first day, you're still kind of loose. But the second day, you're so tight. And then that we all know that third day is, is horrible. And no good coach will let the players just slack off. They, tip, they push you even harder on the third and fourth days. And so every bone or every muscle in your body just aches so then monday comes around and you everybody knows monday you finally get a little bit of rest so i'm like all right maybe things are going to be a little bit different in football so i go to football practice and wouldn't you know we're still doing cardio almost the entire practice we're just doing cardio and i'm like man this is going to be a long like eight weeks and then very, at the very end of practice, I just remember the coach saying, all right, and he yells out really loud, train wrecks, 
I need a line right here and a line right here. He sets a football down right here, and he says, you guys are on offense. You guys are on defense. One player or one person from each side. First player on this side, what your job is, you want to prevent them from getting to the ball. This side, you want to get to the ball. So he lines us up. We go down one by one, uh, one offense, one defense. We lay down with our feet outstretched away from each other and your helmets sitting right next to each other. And you guys play football. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They might not have been called train wrecks, but we call them train wrecks. So he blows the whistle, and I'm the very first one up. He blows the whistle. Or he says, get ready, sorry. And so I get down, and I lay down. And all of a sudden, time just slows. Your adrenaline just peaks. Your heart rate goes up. You're so nervous. And all you can see is the sky. You have no clue what's going on around you. You're just waiting for that whistle, just anticipating it. You're just on edge. And he blows the whistle. I stand up. And the only thing that mattered in the entire world at that moment was getting to that football. So he blows the whistle. The offense, and I stand up, and the guy on offense wasn't quite ready. And I just steamroll him. <laughs> and as he's falling down, I jump. I jump over the top of him, and I land like a foot away from the ball. And I do one of those sweet army crawl things, and I just smack the ball. And then all of a sudden, the world comes back into perspective. And everybody's cheering, and coach slaps me on the shoulder. Good work, Tanner. And you're just like, yeah. And then the next two people go down, and everybody's already focused on that. See, that moment, at that moment, I realized, man, this football thing is going to be awesome. This football thing's something I'm going to like. I get at steamroll players that are smaller than me, and I get, I get told, good job for doing it. See, in like sixth grade, I'd have gone to the principal's office for it. But all that, all that that happened wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't gone through the conditioning ahead of time. Because we all know that if you jump into something too quick, athletically, talking athletic-wise, if you jump into it too soon, you're going to get injured. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to strain a muscle. You're going to tweak a joint. You're going to do something bad because your body wasn't quite ready for it. So you have to go through the conditioning in athletics. You have to go through that conditioning in order to get to the point so that when you get to the actual part of it, the harder part, that your body is ready to go for it. See, I love football now. I eventually went to college at Colorado State to play football. And that passion for football would have never turned into anything if on that very first day when I was absolutely miserable, when every muscle in my body hurt and I went to my mom and dad in tears and said, I want to quit, if they'd have just let me quit, none of that would have been possible. None of, none of my love for football would have ever developed. Sometimes we don't get to see the bigger picture of something prior to when we're told to do it. So when I go out for football, I wasn't told that on Monday next week you're going to love football, but this week it's going to suck. You just show up and it sucks, and you don't know why. So in Scripture, there's this guy named Saul. Saul was a bad dude. Saul was what you would call a, a leader in the Jewish fight against Christians. Like, 
he was the baddest of the bad dudes back then. If you could compare him to somebody today, you'd probably compare him to a leader in ISIS. He was straight up going around, beheading Christians, imprisoning everybody who said they were a follower of Jesus Christ, throwing them in jail right off the bat. Saul was the baddest of the bad dudes back then. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 9. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the board. Acts 9, starting in verse 10. Alrighty. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So it goes without saying here, we can come to the conclusion that Ananias knew exactly who Saul was. See, now back then, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Amber Alerts where they could just send out a tweet or a message and it says, hey, everybody, all you Christians, watch out for this guy, Ananias. He's going around. He's in Jerusalem right now trying to find people who follow Jesus and throwing them in jail. They didn't have technology back then. So the only way everybody would have heard about him is word of mouth. And yet Ananias knew exactly who this guy was, even though he had not met him. He says, I have heard this. I have heard all of the holy or all of the things that he has done to your people. So Ananias knew exactly who Saul was. Yet God asked him to go and pray for him. Continue verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Man, that's uncomfortable. Like, picture it tonight. You're sitting here. God gives you a vision and says, go lay hands on this leader of ISIS. Go lay hands on, who, like, picture who your worst enemy might be. God's saying, go lay hands on this person. He's saying, go lay hands on somebody who is murdering your kind. I know what I would say if I, if I felt like God was saying, hey, Go pray for Saul in that moment. I'd have been like, get thee behind me, Satan. There is no way God would put me into harm. There's no way. God, if this is really you, you're going you're gonna to have to tell me again. And God would be like, Tanner, I said go do it right now. And then I'd be like, all right, give me an opportunity then because I don't know for sure that this is you. But God's saying, I don't need to give you all the details. Saul knows, or Saul's seen a vision of you coming to lay hands on him. That's all, he's, that's all he knows. Ananias doesn't know anything else. He just knows Saul's a bad dude, and God wants him to go lay his hands on him and pray for him. Continue verse 17. 
Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may again, may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fall from, fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So now you're sitting here, there's more to this story. What is the more to this story? Why were there scales on Saul's eyes? See, God didn't really, or Ananias really didn't know. He didn't know the details that we would have just read. Ananias didn't know that God had just wrecked Saul's world. Ananias probably didn't know all of the little details that happened to Saul while he was traveling. So now we're going to skip back to verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, and this is talking about Saul, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. See, those all the little details that we're reading about right there, Saul didn't really know all of that. Saul wasn't there, or Saul, Ananias, I'm sorry. Ananias didn't know. Ananias wasn't there when Saul saw Jesus. Ananias wasn't there when Saul was blinded. He just had to go off of what he felt like God was telling him. And God was telling him, go and pray for Saul. Man, if, if, if this isn't you, God, I'm going to die. Ananias didn't say any of that. God says, go. And Ananias says, hey, this Saul character is somebody who's killing in your name. And God says, go. And Ananias does it. See, sometimes God asks us to do something, but he isn't necessarily going to show us all of the behind-the-scenes details that are going on. He calls us to go do something, but we haven't seen the bigger picture yet. How many of us would have said, no, there's no way God would put me into harm's way and tell me to go pray for this dude who's been killing Christians. God wouldn't put me into harm's way. How many of us would say no? I know probably I would say no. There's no way. Or maybe we might say, if God really wanted me to do it, if God really, really wanted me to do it, then I would go do it. That's such a cop-out. Because God's told us to do stuff before. It might be as simple as, hey, go pray for this person. Or hey, this person's hurting. Hey, go pray for your mom. God's told us some simple stuff to do sometimes, and we just said no. And it really was God telling us to do it. I know myself, like I said, a lot of times what I'll do in order to, to, to buy myself time with God is, God, if this is really you, will you give me the opportunity? God's asking me to go do something. I don't need to know the behind-the-scenes details of what's going on. 
I just know that he's asked me to do something. See, Ananias didn't know for certain that God had just rocked Saul's life. Jesus showed up to him on the road, blinded him, said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my people? Ananias didn't know for certain all those details. Ananias also didn't know what would come. See, Ananias didn't know that Saul would eventually become Paul. Paul would eventually then write over half of the New Testament. See, Ananias didn't know all those details. I guarantee if Ananias knew all those details, he wouldn't have said, hey, God, wait a second. Uh, this Saul character is a murder in Christians. If, Saul wouldn't, if Ananias would have known all those details, he wouldn't have second-guessed it even a, for a fraction of a second because he didn't know the bigger picture. See, I didn't know the first week or the first night of practice of football that eventually it was all going to be worth it. I didn't know that I could get through the first week even. But eventually, it grew into a huge passion of mine. And any of you guys that know, if you talk to me for a few minutes, football's probably going to come up. See, at the time, on the very first day, if I'd have known that football was become that big of a part of my life, I guarantee I wouldn't have gone to my mom and dad crying, saying, I want to quit. But I didn't know the bigger picture. Sometimes God isn't going to give us the, the biggest picture. He's not going to show us all the details when he's going to ask us to do something. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do something that's going to be really hard. And he's not going to show you the behind the scenes. He's not going to show you the future of what's to come. He's just asking you to do something and to step out in obedience. But one of the first things that has to happen in order for us to do what God is asking us to do is God does challenge our comfort zones. How many of you guys, or I've shared all the time here, I'm a very shy person. My comfort zone isn't standing around and having conversations with strangers. Yet God pushes me to do that. Sometimes we're pretty adamant at asking God for breakthroughs in our lives. But when God asks us to do something in order to, to have that breakthrough, we don't want to get out of our comfort zones long enough in order for that breakthrough to come in our lives. Because we're so stick, still stuck in our, our, our comfort zone that we're not willing to break through those struggles in our lives because we just want God to make everything in our life perfect, but we're not willing to actually do what God's asking us to do in order to get to that point. So everybody do something for me. Close your eyes. Now picture your biggest enemy. When I say your biggest enemy, it doesn't have to be somebody you hate, but just the first person that comes to your mind, your biggest enemy. Okay, you guys, go open, open your eyes. So keep that picture of that person in your mind. That person for me was a guy, I'll just call him Mike. I had given my life to Christ. And within a couple months, I felt like God was saying, Tanner, Go tell Mike how much I love him. See, I knew Mike. I knew Mike from back when I used to drink. I knew Mike hated Christians. I knew Mike hated me. I knew that this wasn't going to go well. So my response, get thee behind me, Satan. There's no way God would ask me to do that. 
This guy hates me. Why would, God, why would God want me to talk to this guy who hates me about how much he loves him? But again, I felt like God was saying, Tanner, go talk to Mike. Tell him how much I love him. And I'm not going to go into all the detail of this story. I know I've shared it here before, and I'm sure I'll probably share it again. But long story short, I eventually did it. It got me out of my comfort zone right off the bat. The way I saw it was if I could share the gospel with a dude that hates me, that I, I know he hates me, who I would probably call my biggest enemy, if I can share the gospel with this guy, I can share the gospel with anybody. It got me out of my comfort zone right off the bat. Now, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes right now in his life. But I know a couple months ago, I felt like God said to me again, Hey, Tanner, you remember Mike? Oh, yeah. I don't forget about him. I think about him all the time. I want you to go and talk to him again. And I want you to talk to him about me again, Tanner. I was like, all right. So I got up the courage. I talked to him. Again, I still don't know what was going on behind the scenes. I don't know where he's at. I didn't know where he was at. I didn't know if my previous talk had led him to Christ and all of a sudden he was a dedicated Christian. I just knew that God was asking me to go talk to him again. And long story short, again, I can tell you that the second talk, I found out he was now a very, very avidly professed atheist. However, I would say that the talk did go a little bit better than the previous time. He didn't write five pages of cussing me out this time. He actually asked me questions about my faith. But again, it didn't end with him giving his life to Christ. It didn't end with this radical transformation of his life. But I am 100% certain that God really wants Mike to know that he loves him. And I'm 100% certain that God asked me to go tell Mike how much God loved him. Do I, I don't know if Mike gave his life to Christ within the last two months. Maybe, maybe two years from now, God's going to be like, hey, Tanner, you remember Mike again? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember Mike. And maybe there will be a huge breakthrough then. I don't know. I don't need to know that Mike's eventually going to give his life to Christ. I don't need to know that Mike's ever going to serve God. I don't need to know any of those details. I just know what God has asked me to do. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know how Mike interacts with people where he lives now. But Scripture does tell us to love our enemies. And at the time, Mike was my enemy. And I can tell you, after five years that I now love Mike. I know Mike doesn't respond or doesn't, doesn't necessarily reciprocate that feeling, but I have a huge spot in my heart for Mike. He once was my enemy, and now I pray for him, and I, I genuinely, genuinely want to see Mike come to the realization of how much Jesus loves him. But we need to outgrow our comfort zones. We need to break the barriers in order to reach those people. So, Saul just gave his life to Christ, was just baptized in the Holy Spirit, was, had the, the scales removed from his eyes, he can see again. Saul, this dude who used to kill Christians, used to 
put in jail every single solitary person that said they were a follower of Jesus, what do you think would be the number one thing outside of Saul's comfort zone at that point in time? I think it would probably be something along the lines of, hey, go out to those same cities where you were persecuting Christians, and I want you to talk about Jesus and how he is the Savior and how much he loves all of the Jews, all of the Gentiles. I want you to preach from the preach to the multitudes. I want you to tell everybody how much Jesus loves them. I bet that's the biggest thing outside of Saul's comfort zone. But wouldn't you know, looky here, verse 19. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, keyword there, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And isn't he the same one? Or what? Sorry. And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. You know what the number one word that would probably come to any person in this entire modern America, the very first word that would probably come to their mind, hypocrite. What a hypocrite. This dude was just persecuting the Jews, or the persecuting the Christians. He was just out there killing them. He was throwing every single one of them in jail, and here he is telling us that Jesus is the Savior. What a hypocrite. Saul didn't care. He knew what God had asked him to do, and he was going to do it, even if they called him a hypocrite. Even if they said, who is this Saul? He just was persecuting these people. Why are you standing there? Nobody's going to listen to you. But eventually, they were astonished. How often are we afraid to serve God, to, to go out and reach people because we feel like we're not clean enough? Maybe we feel like we're stuck in sin. One of the excuses I, I hear a lot of is, I just... I don't think I'm ready to to share about Jesus yet. I don't think I'm ready yet. Man, Saul murdered Christians. Murdered people. He would have murdered every single one of us in here. Saul. He was standing at the feet when Stephen was stoned to death. Stephen, the very first martyr for Christ. Saul was there. He was overseeing it. He became bloodthirsty there almost. He wanted more of Stephen, more of the disciples. He wanted more Christians stoned to death. He wasn't satisfied seeing a man stoned to death. And yet it says in Scripture, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. Who cares if they call him a hypocrite? Who cares? Who cares if your friends might make fun of you for being a Christian? Who cares? If God has asked you to do it, if God, God of the universe, Jesus Christ who died for us, who sacrificed himself for our sins, if he asks us to do it, nothing, nothing else 
in the world should matter. What your friends might say shouldn't matter. What your mom and dad might say shouldn't matter. What your cousin says shouldn't matter. Maybe even what your boyfriend or girlfriend would say shouldn't matter. Nothing else in the world should matter. And God's telling you right now, God's telling you, I sent Jesus to die for your sins. He has made you clean. If you repent and turn your lives towards him, all that crap that's on you, all that baggage that you're carrying right now, all that filth in your life, it no longer has a hold over you. How many of us are holding on to that? Holding on to those burdens. Man, God's telling you, let go of those burdens. At once, Saul was out preaching in the synagogues. So you know who I, how I knew Mike? I knew him from parties. So two months prior to me giving my life to Christ, I was still going out to parties pretty regularly, getting drunk three, four nights a week. I saw Mike regularly. He knew I was an alcoholic. He knew where I was at in my life. And I, he also knew he hated me even there. But at that point in time, I didn't care what Mike thought about me. I didn't care what his opinion might be of me. I just knew God was saying, hey, Tanner, go tell this person how much I love him. Still to this day, I can tell you it's one of the, it is probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my walk. Standing up in front of you guys talking, this is easy. I'm a shy person. This is easy compared to that. Standing up in front, we went to the light conference. I felt like God gave me a word there. Standing in front of pastors who have been pastors longer than I've been alive, sharing something that I felt like God was on my heart, that was easy compared to talking with Mike. But we can tend to get into this Christian groove where going to church on Sunday, Chi Alpha Tuesday, small group Wednesday, the well on Thursday. That's four days of the week. Man, I've been a Christian four days of the week. I'm good. We start falling into this groove that somehow church, church is everything we need to do in order to suffice our need to serve God. We get into this groove where going to Chi Alpha on Tuesdays is all that we need to do in order to serve Christ. Because we all know that going to church makes us a Christian, right? God's saying, let go of those burdens. Let go of that crap that's holding you back right now. The one thing, everybody close your eyes again. Think of the one thing holding you back from your potential in Jesus Christ right now. The one thing, maybe the two things. If anything comes to your mind right now, you need to get that thing out of your life. You need to stop worrying about it. Now, if it's a person, I'm not saying you need to hate that person or kick that person out of your life, but I'm saying you need to stop worrying what that person thinks about you. You guys can open your eyes again. I guess if I'm saying anything here today, the one thing I want to get across to you is Jesus Christ loves you so much. He doesn't want you to be comfortable. He doesn't want you sitting where you're at, stuck in these strongholds of your life, 
where the world is passing you by and you're too worried about the burdens of your past in order to make breakthroughs in your life. Jesus loves you more than to let you just sit there comfortably. Jesus loves you more than the bad things that you think about yourself. He loves you more than the, but I struggle too much in this sin. But I am a shy person. But I don't think anybody likes me. Jesus loves you more than the negative things you have to say about yourself. In Ephesians, it says that Jesus is sacrifice when we accept Christ, makes you new. Brand new. He doesn't say, doesn't say he puts you in a washing machine, throws some bleach in, and you come out kind of clean. He's saying you're a brand new creation, standing before God as if Adam had never sinned. You're brand spanking new, as if you had never sinned. Everything, every single bad thing that you can think right now that you've done in your life, every single one of them, I don't care how bad it is. If you murdered Christians, it can get that bad. And Jesus is saying, none of that counts against you. You are made new. But maybe he's saying to you, Reuben, I need you to go and meet a man named Saul. Maybe he's saying, Jesse, I need you to go and meet a man who is known for murdering Christians. And lay hands and pray for him. Maybe saying, Chasen, I need you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus. Maybe he's saying, Matt, I need you to go and lay hands for a Muslim and pray for him. Maybe he's saying, Andy, I need you to go share with your worst enemy how much Jesus Christ loves them. And I want to give you a heart for it. And if what I'm saying sounds impossible, it is impossible for man, but nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And he is saying, I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the authority. I'm going to strengthen you. You are not stuck. Get out of your mindset that you are stuck. You are not stuck. Stop thinking that you're stuck. Stop thinking that you're stuck in this sin. Stop thinking that you're not going to be good enough. Stop thinking that maybe you can't accept Christ because of the things of of your life hold you back. He's saying, I love you so much, and I'm going to give you the strength to do it. He's saying, rely on me. Don't rely on your own strength. Rely on me. Rest against me. Let me hold you up. Any of you guys remember the Hawaiians, Alpha, Isaiah, Tala? Those guys, they're great guys, good friends of mine. When I got back from salt, the salt that I gave my life to Christ at, right off the bat, that very next Tuesday, I felt like God said to me, hey, Tanner, go tell Isaiah he needs to go from Chi Alpha directly, and he needs to lay hands, and he needs to pray with his cousins, Alpha and Tala. So I went up and I said, hey, Isaiah, I feel like God's telling me to tell you this. And Isaiah looked at me. He's like, oh, cool, dude. And if you guys any of you guys know Isaiah, that's almost exactly what he would say. 
But, but to me, I felt like I had just completely missed the mark. Like he was like, ah, oh, you're a crazy dude telling me that you're hearing from God. A couple years go by, and I'm thinking, I just completely missed the mark there. I moved on. No big deal. A couple years go by, and Isaiah, often Tala, I'll come to salt. And it was at that salt that Alpha and Tala would give their lives to Christ at, and they were baptized. Another year goes by, and Isaiah says, dude, you remember that one time when we were sitting in Chi Alpha, and you came up to me and you said, hey, I feel like you need to go pray for your cousins, pray with your cousins? I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, I did. I left there, and I went and prayed for them, and we just sat together crying and weeping and praying and calling out to Jesus. He said, that's actually the reason why we all started to come to Chi Alpha regularly was that night. I didn't know what God had done that night. I didn't know what had gone on behind the scenes. All I knew, and, I, and for three years, three years I thought I had completely missed the mark and I was completely wrong on that. Like I thought it was the most wrong thing I had ever said to anybody. But I gave myself the excuse, I had only been a Christian for two days. Yeah, I might not be able to hear from God yet. Three years go by, and finally Isaiah tells me, yeah, that moment, the very first moment where you felt like you heard from God was actually a defining moment in our lives because eventually we would start coming to Chi Alpha regularly. Eventually we would go to Salt, and eventually we would give our lives to Christ, and eventually we would be baptized. And what I'm saying is it had nothing to do with me. I just knew God wanted to do something, and he was asking me to do it. That's what it comes down to sometimes. So do you want to see the campus come to know Christ? Do you want to see your friends, your family come to know Christ? Do you want to see your own life transformed? Are you tired of struggling with crap? And you want to see transformation come? Are you sick of the same old, same old, Are you sick of feeling like God doesn't listen to you? That God doesn't hear you? Man, I don't even know why I'm going to share this, but I felt like I I need to. Alpha, the guy I was just talking about, one of the Hawaiians. One day I'm standing right over there, and worship's going on. It's dark in here. You know how Kai Alpha is. And I felt like God said, hey, Tanner, I need you to go up to Alpha and tell him that he's not dumb. And I was like, yeah, that's just me. God wouldn't use the word dumb. God's eloquent. He would use, go tell Isaiah he's not unintelligent. But again, I felt like God was saying real heavily, go tell Isaiah he's not dumb. I was like, all right, God. If this is you, like I was saying, if this is you, Give me an opportunity. As I finished the thought, and I'm not even kidding with you, as I finished the thought, the former pastor, his name was Sean Bonsoff. Sean says, I want you to go and find somebody to pray with. (laughs) You got me. All right, I'll go do it. Okay, all right, all right. Hey, Alpha, 
I feel like God wanted me to tell you you're not dumb. And then I started to embellish the story a little bit because I knew God wouldn't just leave it at that. I feel like you, you're you struggling with school and, 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 dude, you're not dumb. And Alpha stops me and he said, what exactly did you feel like God said? I said, all I heard and all I felt like I heard was him say, go tell Alpha he's not dumb. And Alpha just gets this dumbfounded look. He's like, what? Apparently, as I said, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But Alpha says, I was just standing back here feeling depressed because I felt like I was too dumb to hear from God. So God gives him another way to hear from God. And he says, Alpha, you're not dumb. See, I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. Sometimes we don't need to know this stuff. But we have to get to a point where we outgrow our comfort zones. So if there's anything I'm saying to you at all today, besides Jesus loves you, I would say that is the most important thing. But if I were to say anything, if you're stuck in your walk with Christ, if you're stuck in your life, if you're stuck with a sin, you're stuck with any of these things that are just, you feel like they're holding you back and you feel like you can't hear from God. We need to get in the mindset that we need to outgrow our comfort zones. We need to be seeking opportunities to get outside of our comfort zones because through that, we really start to grow. You're not going to grow if you sit on the couch all day and do nothing. And the same goes for our lives. You're not going to grow if you're consistently comfortable and you're just chilling out in your comfort zone all day, every day. David, would you come up? Sometimes the biggest thing holding us back in our walk with Christ is our mindset. Sometimes the things holding us from pursuing Christ with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind is our mindset that maybe we're too dirty to pursue God. I have all this baggage I can't pursue God with this in my life. I need to be clean to pursue God. Jesus, as he was crucified, is sitting on the cross. And to his left and to his right are two people who are being crucified with him who actually deserved it. They deserved to be crucified. They were there for a reason. One of those two people on him, on his left and his right, one of those two realized Jesus had done nothing to deserve why he was up there. And even though Jesus was up there dying for other people's sins, he still calls out, God forgive them for they know not what they do. One of the people on the cross is sitting there and he says, this guy must truly be God because he's asking forgiveness for these people that are torturing him. No one would do that in their right mind. This man must truly be God. 
The other one on the other side begins to mock and ridicule Jesus. But the point being is, both of them were at the same place in their life. Both of them had come to the cross, literally are being hung on the cross for the same thing. One of them, at that moment before he dies, recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is his Savior. And Jesus turns to him and he says, you will be in paradise with me. It doesn't matter. If your sins were bad enough to get you to the point where you're sitting on the left-hand side or the right-hand side of Jesus Christ being crucified with him because you actually did the crime, it doesn't matter if that's how bad your life has gone. And that's the, the amount of decisions you've made have been that bad. Jesus is still saying, if you come to me and you're on the cross next to me, you recognize that I am your Savior, that you will be forgiven. You will be made clean. Person on the right hand side, I think it was the right hand side, who's mocking and ridiculing Jesus. won't be with Jesus in paradise. Because even though the evidence was before him, even though Jesus was literally right next to him on the cross, if we, if we in our minds as Christians can think of one moment that defines Jesus and his life, the two moments that define Jesus and his life, the first one is him dying on the cross. The second one would be, be him rising again. So if you can be somebody sitting there right in front of him in that defining moment of Jesus Christ's life, it really is as simple as, are you going to be the man on the left-hand side and recognize that Jesus Christ is your Savior? He's made you clean. He's tired of you being stuck where you're at in your life. He wants you to get out of your comfort zone. He wants you to stop worrying about what people are going to think about you. Or are you going to be the man on the other side of the cross who even up until the very bitter end refuses to see Jesus as his Savior? They were both presented the same amount of information. I want you to put away your phone, put away your Bible, put away your books, put away everything. Make sure they're not distracting you. If your friend's distracting you, go find a piece of carpet away from them. And I want you to pray about this, and I want you to ask God this. God, I want to get out of my comfort zone. Is there anything you want me to do? It can be as simple as that. God, what would you like me to do to get out of my comfort zone? I want you to pray that prayer on your own, at your tables. And then I want you to do something else that a lot of us, I, I tend to forget this a lot. I want you to listen to what God has to say back. Sometimes, and I want you to recognize, sometimes God speaks to you with just a feeling in your gut. Sometimes it might be a clear, 
I need you to go tell Alpha he's not gone. It might be clear, but sometimes it's just a feeling in your gut. Sometimes you just have this gut feeling you need to go do something, or there's some there's some area of your life that you need to let go of. See, the feeling, I had the feeling like Isaiah should go pray for his cousins. God didn't give me an audible voice in that, but I felt like I should go tell him that. I don't know how to explain it. It's just a feeling welling up within you. Don't disregard it just because it doesn't sound like an audible voice. And so I want you to spend some time listening to God. Pray that prayer if you feel comfortable. I also want to say, I'm not going to require any of you guys to pray the prayer. If you don't feel like praying that, don't pray it. There's no requirements here. I don't want to make it uncomfortable for you. I don't want you doing something you don't want to do. But if your heart is to get past where you're at, your heart is to, to, to have huge breakthroughs in your life, within your spiritual walk and within your actual secular lifestyle, if you want to have huge breakthroughs, that's a great prayer to pray. And I give these guys some time to, to listen. And then second of all, I want to make this statement out here. If any of you guys don't know what I'm talking about when I say you gave your life to Christ, or you know for sure you've never given your life to Christ, and this is something that right now, you can just feel it inside of you, it's something you need to do. Matt, Courtney, and I will be up here, and we would love to have a conversation with you about it to, to let you know what, what the next step is. If you're sitting there, sitting here tonight, and you're feeling guilty, you're feeling like I'm telling you you're not good enough or you're not doing enough or anything like that, I just want you to just get that out of your mind right now. If you're feeling guilty right now about anything in your past right now, I want you to move past that. Because what I'm saying tonight is you don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to worry about the burdens of the past. You don't need to worry about, even if it was something you did 10 minutes before you came in here, I'm saying right now, God's saying, he wants you to move past that. Saying, I've got so much more for you. You don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel burdened. I know I have this tendency of coming off pretty strong. I just want all of you guys in here to know that I care about you, genuinely. My wife cares about you. We love you guys. And so when I say everything I say from the pulpit, I'm not doing it to try to beat you down and make you feel worthless, make you feel like you weren't doing enough, like you're not doing enough to be a good Christian, that you're not a good Christian in any way. What I'm saying from the pulpit is, I feel like we've got barriers set up around Chi Alpha right now got this wall set up and God's saying for each and every single one of you guys I want to tear down the walls I want to get Christianity back outside of this room I want to get it in your every part of your life Christianity isn't just going to church on Sunday, isn't just coming to Chi Alpha on Tuesday, isn't just going to a small group. Christianity is serving Christ. That's really what it comes down to. When we get together like this, it's 
It's for education. It's for learning. It's for growing. It's for fellowship. It's for growing with each other. It's for coming together as believers. And yeah, there is growth that comes about here. There's growth that comes in small groups. But a lot of the most growth that comes through a walk with Christ comes in your personal relationship with Him. It comes with your relationship with your friends who are Christians. When you have those conversations, you go back and forth. Yeah, I was just learning this in, in, you know, in Hebrews, and it was just blowing my mind, and they share you this little thing that God revealed to them. You might return the favor back and show them that something that God revealed in Scripture to you or what God's breakthrough has been coming. We build each other up is what I'm getting at. The purpose of Chi Alpha, the purpose of coming here on a Tuesday night is I'm hoping that I'm hearing from God just enough that maybe when you guys leave here, you feel built up a little bit. You feel encouraged. You feel like you're ready to take on the world. You're ready to go share the gospel in the dorms. You're ready to to get through the garbage in your life. You're ready to stop stressing about the sins that you struggle with. You're, You're ready to move past and you're ready to be a soldier in Christ's army. And so what I'm saying up here is not to beat you down to a pulp to make you feel like you're not doing enough or make you feel like you need to be doing more. I just hope that I can hear from God just enough that when you leave here, there's breakthroughs that are happening in your life. Because walking with Christ isn't something that you can just show up here and expect your entire walk with Christ to be contained in an hour and a half on Tuesday nights. To be contained to an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. Your walk with Christ needs to include that, yes. But it shouldn't be centered around that. Your walk with Christ should be the alone time when you wake up and you read a little bit of scripture and you pray and you ask God to meet you in your day. Christianity is meeting your friend for coffee, meeting Courtney for coffee, meeting me. I don't drink coffee, but I'll still meet you at the bean broker and drink a soda or something but it's meeting somebody one on one and just having an intimate relationship hey what are you going through man you look like you are carrying the weight of the world right now what's going on Christianity is the the long road trips on a retreat to the middle of nowhere where there's a river and rocks and I don't know, I've never been out there, but... And then coming back and just being on fire, ready to go. Even if it only lasts 12 hours, and then all of a sudden school hits, you're like, oh crap, i got to get back to work at school. But Christianity isn't this... All of a sudden you accept Christ, everything in the world's picture perfect, all you got to do is go to church, and everything's hunky-dory. And Christianity is the in-betweens. It's the ups and the downs. It's the peaks and the valleys. A lot of the stuff that I've learned the most about serving Christ have happened when I was at my lowest, not my highest. The highest feels great, and I wish I could live at the highest. But you come off of that. You crash. God shows you a little bit of something, an area of your life He wants to change. He wants to move you past. And in those valleys, when God is holding you up and He's saying, I know life sucks right now. But I want to move you past this. 
That is Christianity. That is walking with Christ. It's not all on the tops. It's not all when you're feeling perfect and everything in your life is going perfect and and so and so just asked you out on a date and now everything in your life makes sense. That's not Christianity. Christianity is both the ups and the downs. Revelations, the, the final book of the Bible is written by a man while he was in prison. He wasn't at the peak. He was in a low place. And the world was changed. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. Man, that's the lowest of low places. And yet, the world was changed. Humanity was changed. The fact that we can even get into heaven was changed on the lowest of low points. And so like I talked about three or four weeks ago, whatever, however long ago it was, view your hardships as discipline. Because your walk with Christ depends on that. When you're in your lows, don't give up on God. Don't get mad at God. Say, why could you do this to me? Say, God, what can I learn from this situation? What breakthroughs are you ready to tear down in my life because of this low point I'm in? And so when you get to the peaks and you get to the highs, they're even higher than before because now you're free from the burden you were just struggling with three, four days ago. That's Christianity. So don't come in here on Tuesday nights expecting your entire walk with Christ to be contained here on Tuesday nights. Because if you are, I missed the point somewhere. Christianity is so much bigger than me standing in front of you telling you to outgrow your comfort zones. But what I said in the sermon is so true because we have to get out of that comfort zone to grow. Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting a little bit. Yeah, your, your joints are going to be sore. Yeah. Some areas of your life are going to have to be sacrificed. Some things that you enjoy to do might have to be cut out of your life. Going out and partying might have to get cut out. Going and hanging out with so-and-so because every time you go hang out with them, you end up struggling and you end up doing something you regret the next day. Might have to be cut out of your life. But you will be so much better if you just do what God's asking you to do in those areas. So tonight, if you understand, can I share? Okay. If you understand what it is for my wife to stand up here in front of you guys. Hello. If you understand how hard it is for my wife to stand up here in front of you guys, she feels like God is saying to her to close in prayer. So tonight... My wife is going to close in prayer. Dear God, just thank you for even the opportunity that we get to meet on a college campus, God. That we can just come and be of one mind and one accord, of, of one accord, Lord. That 
God, we can just come here and we can pursue you. God, thank you that your presence just permeates this room. But God, I just pray that you burst our boundaries past what we could even expect or imagine. God, I pray that our faith is just stretched beyond belief, Lord, that you just give us a new season of, of growth, Lord, and perseverance. And it might be an area of just discomfort or it, it doesn't feel right, but God, you are moving in, even in our weaknesses. You are moving even in our low points, God. And I just pray that we can all just respond to that, God, that we can just reach out to you daily, Lord, just listen to you daily. God, that your voice would just be all the more clearer, Lord, that we can just become attuned to your voice and what you're saying to us. Lord, even as we're walking down the sidewalks to classes, God, that you, that your spirit would just be active in our lives. God, we just thank you. And we, and we pray right now against fear, against doubt, against struggles and sins that are that are trying to block us or defeat us or or set us back another two weeks or another three weeks or god we just lay that all at the foot of your cross tonight god god just thank you that we don't have to pick it back up again at the start of the next day (laughs) thank you lord for the freedom that you give Lord, just more than anything for these students, I just pray that you empower them. God, that they can feel empowered in their walk with you, that they can feel empowered in their classes, God, that they can do immeasurably more than we, that they they can even ask or imagine, God, that you would just provide that, Lord, that you would give them the strength in which to do it. God, that you would grow them, that you would just burst their boundaries, God, and just surprise them and just surprise them just with the goodness that you can do on this campus, Lord. Sometimes just the the, the darkness and the, the reports of, oh, this happened in this storm and um, there's this tragedy going on, it just seems overwhelming. But God, I just pray that, that that every bad report just bounces off of them, that they know that your spirit is working for, for good on this campus, God. And I just pray that they can be that light. God, that they can just... that they can just permeate your goodness, Lord, that that they would look different, <laughs> that they would be almost forced into those situations that make them uncomfortable because someone will ask them, so why are you so happy all the time? Where does this joy come from? <sighs> God, just thank you for the opportunities that you give us, and may we just be more receptive to them each and every day. Lord, thank you just for a new season of growth and opportunity, God. Um, and thank you just that you're, you're casting down the enemy left and right as, as we walk forward on the path that you've set out for us, God. Thank you for the good works that are yet to come in our lives. Lord, the good things that we are going to see on, on campus, Lord, even during the rest of the semester, God, and, and the rest of this year, and in the rest of these students' college careers, God, just thank you. And we just look... We just look forward to all the goodness that you're going to do. We love you and we thank you. We praise your name tonight, Jesus. Amen.